Hi listeners and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr. George Tomaforis, and this is the first episode in our series dedicated to coronavirus. We know that this is a very tough time for all of us. And we can daddy notice to get through it, we need to support each other. This series is all about learning from one another and talking about what we are all doing to make it through. We're going to chat to people with disabilities, support coordinators, advocates and other guests about how we are doing our best to be prepared and to be safe. Just remember, that if you're looking for medical advice, please talk to your doctor for that. You can also call the National Coronavirus Information Line on 1-800-020-080. So let's get into it. Joining me now is NDIS participant and freelance photographer Jared Sandal Hay to talk to us about how he is juggling support workers, supplies, and social distancing. Hi, Jared, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you adjusting to the coronavirus? <laughs> um, well, I don't know how you measure it, but I guess we're going okay. We're still here, and in these times, I think that's the main thing. Um, yeah, no, it was, um, it came on, like everybody, it came on quite quickly. So me and my wife, we run a photography business, and about four weeks ago, we were booking different jobs about once every two or three days and now that's all stopped so and we haven't had any cancellations but we've had a couple of postponements and nobody's booking us so no deposits are coming in so um no money's coming in and then on top of that there's the whole disability stuff so we're both wheelchair users, and we're both NDIS participants. And so we have to manage that as well. And then there's also the equipment and the, um, the stuff we use because of our disabilities and where we can find it, where we can't. And then on top of that is the whole... How do we feed ourselves? Where do we get the food from? Do we go outside? Do we not go outside? So we're making decisions day by day. Um, and it's costing a lot more money than um, it would normally because obviously things like take away stuff and, and sometimes we can only find um, gloves or wipes or whatever at convenience stores and convenience stores are often much higher priced than 
the supermarket. So it's not it's not great, but um, I guess we're not we're not in the worst situation. Um, so you have a lot of financial pressures, from what I'm hearing, yeah. um, in terms of your incomes gone down, um, and having the need for support workers. Um, you also have expenses there, don't you, that are related to your support. I'd like to focus a bit on the support worker situation. A lot of us are being told that we need, well, we're all being told to socially isolate. But that's not as easy for people like us, is it? Uh, no, and it actually costs more money, more funding than would if we were to self-isolate. Um, so I have a support worker coming to help me get up and pretty much put me to bed a little bit throughout the day. And I rely on those hours. I rely on their support. So you have to manage who's coming in, who's coming out. You don't you don't often know where they've been until they come and tell you that day, you know. And the rate of infection in New South Wales where I am it's quite high. It's the highest in all of the country. It's almost three times as high as the infection rate in Victoria. So that's a bit, concern, a bit concerning. And so um, we didn't organise it like this, but we're going to stick with our current situation where we only have we pretty much have two workers swapping between the two of them and one of them does all of my night shifts and some of the weekend and the other one does all of the weekday uh, morning shifts. So you've obviously had to rearrange some of your uh, support services and yeah. what I'm hearing is that one way that you've tried to reduce the risk is by reducing the number of support workers that come into your house. Yeah, which is smart but also very dangerous because if one of those support workers gets sick or can't come or whatever, then I have to invite new people into our house and that's the most scary thing about okay i mean it's scary on the best occasions but when we have what's going on at the moment where we want to not vet support workers but try and work out what their daily routine is to make sure that they're not bringing anything into our home and we're not giving them into anything into their home because that's also important. We don't want to infect other disabled people who they might be looking after and we don't want to be infected by 
anyone else that they might be looking up to. So we're hoping that the next, the, the Prime Minister says six months, but from a disabled person's point of view, I dare say we will still be doing this in 18 months' time, just because of that extra little precaution. So hopefully over the next 18 months' time, those support workers will still be in place until until this dies down. I don't know the reality is that we don't know how long this will take. And we also need to um, you know, recognise that um, there are risks with certain uh, approaches to this. So, for example, if I uh, reduce the number of support workers, yes, I will have fewer people who a, will possibly um, have the coronavirus and be home, and B, less people I may pass on a virus to. However, on the other side of that, if I have less support workers, I then may find that if someone is unwell, I don't have the backup support. Yeah, and, that's, and one of the things I want to stress, and I haven't seen... I haven't seen much media around this, is that we're not just worried about getting coronavirus. We're worried about getting other types of flus, sicknesses. Um, we're worried about getting hurt or needing to go to hospital, especially when the peak comes. At the time of we're recording this, the peak is not here yet. So when the peak comes and if our hospital system gets full and we have to go to hospital or wherever and there are capacity already, what does that mean for us? Also, if I'm going to hospital, I'm still going to need support in the hospital. And then it becomes a nightmare right, to work out how you manage support workers coming into hospital how do they what's the protocols there so the main one of the main decisions that we've taken at our health is our goal is not to need to go to the doctor or to the hospital in the next six months absolutely so, we need to stay well at home um, yeah. And we know what often happens to people with disabilities in the health system. That yeah, on the best of days. Um, absolutely, on the best of days. Uh, hospitals are, are quite difficult places to be um, if you have a disability. Um, and we've seen that um, in uh, a range of inquiries and royal commissions that have looked at this. So it becomes about how do we stay health, healthy and safe in our places of living, and what what do we need? What do we need to do that? Jared, tell me, are you 
uh, currently um, planning on uh, using personal protective equipment such as masks and and things that, that currently are, are unavailable. Um, so I've always had a pretty open relationship with my support workers and our conversations about what to do and what not to do. Um, I've moved up a step when it comes to um, what I've asked my support workers to do. Um, before this, they were only using gloves um, when it came to personal care, but now we've moved to a stage that I've asked my support workers to use gloves um, when they're handling anything to do with me. So putting me in my wheelchair, um, helping me um, in the shower or wherever. So whenever they're touching me, they're touching me through a glove. And then when it comes to masks, one of my support workers, I'm quite happy with this. And one of my support workers does wear a mask throughout the shift, and that's their choice. Um, once, once she started wearing the mask, I've encouraged her to keep wearing it because there's no point going backwards and forth between taking off the mask and putting it on, in my point of view. Um, and that's a good way to track infections because if anyone gets sick, then we know we can we can almost pinpoint where it comes from and who needs to be um, careful. Um, moving forward though, if it gets and if it looks like it's going the way it's going, um, and we do need to protect ourselves more. I have no idea where we're going to source these masks from, and I, I'm not. I've only recently stocked up on gloves, so we're okay for gloves for a little while. But what happens if the next time I decide to go to the supermarket, which I probably shouldn't be going to, and they have no gloves? Like, where, where do people go now? Absolutely. I don't, and I, I, don't, I don't think this is a priority when it comes to when people are talking about on the, in the media or on the news. They're talking about nurses and doctors in, like, on the front line, which I agree they are the most important. But... But prevention is always the best way to go. And if people don't protect themselves in here, we're going to add to the high demand of hospitals if we're not careful. I, I think you've really um, made a very important point, and that is that, that we need to stay out of hospitals and we need personal protective equipment in our homes in order to do that. And what I'm concerned about 
um, is that we're, we're hearing messages about how important it is to stay 1.5 metres away from other people. We, as disabled people, are who need personal assistance unable to do that. So it's important that, that the government provides us with what we need uh, to uh, stop the need to go into hospital. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm really, really keen to see uh, some initiatives that provide everything that we need in our homes so we don't need to go to supermarkets or so that we don't need to go to hospitals because that's the only way that we're going to get through this if we stay in our homes and have the support in place that's provided safely. Yeah, up to date, like up until now, the government has been pretty good at securing um, the support worker safeguards and, and the um, support agencies who provide the support. They've been well looked after, which is important too because if they don't feel secure, then they're not going to come here. But then, if it goes both ways, you need to support the NDIS participant and the people on, if you're on the DSP and you are paying a little bit more for food deliveries or um, fast food or whatever, like these costs are new costs to us that are not just one-off costs, they're ongoing. They certainly are. David, do you have any, uh, I guess, words of advice for people? I mean, we're not here to give people, I guess, a set of um, instructions on what to do. It's... No, I don't, I don't think there is a right way or wrong way to do things. I think people need to, you know, that the dignity of risk still applies and... Um, that's still very important, and people will know what to do in their own circumstance. One of the things that I've changed in, if you want to call it my behaviour, is I've been avoiding big supermarkets, and I am in a privileged position of being able to go out myself in my electric wheelchair. But we've been avoiding our big supermarkets and we've been sticking to like I've been evaluating the places I go on building size. If it's a small building <laughs> I can go into it. So if it's a small shopping centre, I'm likely to go there. I'm likely to go there late at night, so around 9.30, 10 o'clock, just before they close, that's when there's a fair few people. And then, oh, but that's also not very good for me because if it gets cold in winter, I'm going to be going to the shops and then like, you know, late at night in the cold. It's not going to be great. Um, so I go to... I go to shops if we need something on the day late at night and then we do a big shop 
online about once a week, but that still doesn't it doesn't mean we get everything um on on a more you know day to day stuff. Just keep having conversations with support workers. Try to see how they feel. Um try and reassure them and keep your keep your your home and their workplace as clean as possible. And try and make it so it's not only about you but it's about their safety. If you provide a good workplace then they're likely to keep working as long as possible for them. That's very good advice. I just wanna end though by talking about something that I think is really key at this time and that is um mental health and the importance yeah. of people even though we're so socially well I, I prefer the term physically isolating i don't think that we should be socially isolating no i think that we need to make more than effort more than ever to be social yeah uh, do you have have you done any have you put in place any strategies to uh, make sure that, that that while you're so physically isolating, that you're not socially isolating? Um, well, on the broader question of mental health and what what I need to do to stay um, relatively of good mental health, I do a few things. I'm one of those people who love information, and the more information I get about coronavirus, the better. I find, but some people are not always into that. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. They just want to try and live the life they were living before this as much as they can. And that's perfectly okay. So I do that, but I also check in with my circle of friends, the ones that I always talk to. I guess moving from Melbourne to the Central Coast, I've been doing that anyway, especially with my Melbourne friends, and now with my Central Coast friends, I've been doing that more with them. and. And so it's about checking in, it's about them, they ask if I'm okay, if they can do anything with for me and I return the favour and it's just about showing, you can do amazing things with your iPhone or with your phones and just maybe checking with that person on your friends list that you haven't checked in with for a while. And you know, you might have something, um, you might re reimagine your friendship or something. But I find that um, another thing that's really important is humour. And so, if you can make light of some of the stuff, you know, whether it's the hairdressing or rugby league or um, toilet paper, if you can make jokes about some of the more lighter stuff, Obviously, you have to pick your timing, but um, the humor is really important. But we all we all go through different cycles of emotions, and the 
you won't be long until I look in my house and my I'm so sick of these wolves. I just want to go out and see my grandparents. My grandparents or my friends or you know, somebody who I haven't seen. And the idea of not seeing them for another six months is heartbreaking. And so you have a bit of a cry or be down for a half a day or a day or even a week. And then you wake up. You see something funny on Facebook and you post it and one of your friends will comment on it and you just feel connected with each other. And if we all do that, I think we will be able to balance each other out. Absolutely. We need to stay connected. I think that's critical. And we need to be really grateful that we've got the technology that we that we have. I mean, the fact that we can be in the same, in practically the same way with someone. Um, I spoke to a friend earlier in New York, um, and I didn't have to leave the house, and that's that's a pretty awesome thing that we can do. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be one-on-one either. It can be in a group, it can be, you know, you can, I don't want to encourage drinking, but you can open up a bottle of wine and have a conversation over the phone and it might not be the same atmosphere but it's still it's still valuable and I've been saying this for years but social media has always been undervalued but in general I think it certainly is and and we uh, need to make use it for good and not for evil as the as they yeah. say. <laughs> Darren, thank you for joining us and uh, I think that we've all, um, everyone listening will have hopefully um, benefited from, from hearing this conversation. No worries, thanks for having me on. Stay safe. You too, wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Or get somebody to help you wash your hands. Or if you don't have hands, wash your, your stuff. Wash your, wash your stuff. <laughs> On that note, see you, That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our Facebook page for all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, for the most up-to-date info on the coronavirus, call the Coronavirus Helpline on 1-800-020-080 or visit health.gov.au. We hope that you enjoyed the show and that you stay tuned for more episodes. Until next time, stay well and reasonable, and please, please remember to wash your hands.